listening to First Church Charlotte. Great to see you all in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night. Wednesday night is the my favorite service of the week. Uh, I I enjoy Sunday. Don't get me wrong, um, but a lot of times I approach Sunday with the focus of of. Uh, really focusing on on others on Wednesday night sometimes more often than not I just get to share what I've been studying in the Word of God and then on Sunday if I don't do good I feel really bad but on Wednesday I don't care at all if I don't do good I just, I'm like those are some hardcore Christians there they came out to church they can just suffer through it bless God smile at your neighbor and say suffer through it <laughs> That's right. I love all you guys. I'm excited that the Lord has joined us all together for a work that is beyond us. I said a work that is beyond us. And so we are excited about that. Uh, I just believe that the church is strategically placed, not just in location, but in time. And there is a, a mission for us to do. In fact, I think the church should organize itself around the mission that God has given us. We should be missional. We should be intentional and missional. If I'm not careful, I'll come up with a rap song about intentional and missional. Uh, they're having a, a, a rap uh, contest over for the kids in a few weeks. And uh, Brother John and Sister Jamala are going to have a, a, a contest in rapping. And they asked me to be in it. And I said, I only will be in it if I'm in charge. And uh, they decided that they, they would just skip that. No. Uh, we want to be missional, and we want to be intentional about the mission. And so I am going to direct your attention for a few moments here tonight. James chapter number 1, if you would like to stand, we will read together. Uh, James, uh, James chapter number 1. And let me switch versions here. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Uh, I actually had it on the message because I'd been doing some devotional reading, so I needed to switch it real quick. Uh, verse number 26. Uh, this is a great scripture for you to memorize because there's so many opportunities in your life to just kind of get a, s a superior smile on your face and quote uh, that, that they'll be having so much fun and then you will read with a little bit of a superior expression on your face. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, if you will learn that scripture... <laughs> You will have opportunities in your life that are so beautiful. People will be like, and then you just can say, if anyone thinks they're religious and can't control their tongue, their religion is useless. See, I've just blessed you guys. You can go home now. I mean, that's, that's all you need. That's all you need right there. Let's read to verse 27. Uh, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So I want to talk about, about three, uh, three goals, three spiritual aspirations uh, that are fundamental to uh, true Christianity, uh, fundamental to getting it right. And so we will get into this together before you're seated. Smile at your neighbor one more time and say, this is really for you tonight, so no sleeping is allowed. Amen. 
So I want to I want to remind all of you today uh, something you guys know, but I want to be quite uh, clear about, and that is simply this: our our goal is not to be religious. Our goal is to be Christian. That's that's a, a much higher higher goal for us. Uh, we we all of us we all of us strive to to get this right. Uh, we understand that religion is part of the human makeup. To be religious in some manner is found in every culture of humanity that's ever been studied anywhere. There is no culture studied on any continent that does not have a religious component to it. But Christianity is is very different from your average world religion uh, in that it's not about us trying in some way to lift ourselves to where God is, but Christianity is about the God who came down to where we are, that he might do what we could not do and elevate us to where he is. You see, that's the difference. It isn't about it isn't about what we can uh, earn in some type of an effort to, to slowly get the approval of the gods, but it is about the God who loved us so much that he paid our debt. And so this is a very different way of approaching uh, the whole subject of religion. Uh, Jesus had the most trouble with the most religious people. We all know this. This isn't new to any of us. Uh, But we all of us want to have real and right religion. Uh, Real quick, I'll tell you a joke. So the Pope flew into New York City. And uh, he had never driven a limousine or a car of any type, and so he wanted to, he, and this is a joke, this is not a true story, just in case you were wondering. Uh, he wanted to drive, he had never driven, and so he knew his normal driver back in Italy would never let him drive, but he, he went to this, this driver in New York City and um, talked him into let him driving, and so he's driving down the road, he's having the time of his life, he's always wanted to drive a car, he's flooring it, he's going fast, well the highway patrol notices him, and highway patrol comes up behind him and sirens and light and pull him over and the 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 uh, patrolman comes up to his window and just in shock and all this is the pope driving the pope mobile i mean this is just too much and he doesn't know what what's going on he sees the pope and there's this big big uh limousine and he goes back to his patrol car and he calls his his commander and he says we've got a big problem i just pulled over somebody who is big time and uh his commander said well is it is it is it the mayor uh, or, you know, some, some uh, local politician. The officer said, no, it's not. He said, well, is it the governor? He said, no, think bigger. His commander says, what do you mean think bigger? Is it the president? He said, no, think bigger. He said, who's bigger than the president? He said, I don't know, but he has the Pope driving for him, so it's probably God himself. Uh, we, we all of us want to have the life that is so authentic that people think we're driving for God. <laughs> um, and that's not as easy as we would like to, we would like it to be. Uh, and 
I, I've thought a lot the last few uh, weeks. I have thought a lot about James. Uh, if you if you follow my teaching very very much, you you've heard me talk a good bit about this. But James James had a a very unique job. James was not religiously educated. James, remember, this is not the disciple. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a disciple or a believer while Jesus was alive. But he came became a believer after he saw Christ resurrected from the dead. Honey, if, if resurrection doesn't convince you, there's just nothing that can, can convince you. And James became a believer. And so imagine he had, his father had been a carpenter. Jesus had been his brother. He probably had, had grown up the way Jesus had helping his father in the trade that was in the family. That this is very easily understood that this part of the world and, and not just there, but all the parts of the world still, still works like this. You tend to grow up in the context of your parents. You grow up in the world of your parents. Uh, James, his father was not a religious lawyer. He was not a priest. He was not a scribe. Uh, He was a blue collar worker. Uh, you, you, you need to never allow yourself to feel like you can't do something for God because you didn't have some exalted father or grandfather in your, you can be first generation and God use you for great things in his kingdom. And so James, he is the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Can you, can you imagine how difficult that was? That is the church filled with Pharisees. Literally, read about it in Acts 15, 16, 17, and that whole section there. When when Paul comes back to uh, Jerusalem, they're afraid of what the believing Pharisees are going to do to him. Uh, James is pastoring a church filled with religious lawyers. They are they they have more religion re, religious education than their pastor distinction of having spent more time with Jesus than any of them. (coughs) Excuse me. So he continually, imagine the frustrations of having people who are always trying to correct his layperson's understanding of some Old Testament truth. Can you imagine the superiority with which scribes and religious lawyers um, maybe gave cast doubt upon some interpretation of James. James had uh, one of the toughest jobs in the early church in that he was trying to pastor people who celebrated legal the Mosaic, uh, the law of Moses, they knew it front to back. They were deeply educated in it. And here he is a man without even a, a college degree of any type. And he is pastoring the church field with the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, all of these converted, educated Jews. And when you read James, now, if you've never read the Bible through, uh, uh, even a couple times, uh, you should start there. Get yourself a reading plan. Uh, don't just think you'll do it. Uh, get yourself a reading plan. There's several available free online, and and, and read it through. Uh, but after you've done that, after you kind of know what James is roughly talking about, and you you know roughly what Paul was trying to fix in his first letter to Corinthians, and then what he was revisiting in the second letter, and once you kind of understand what Galatians is about, and uh, what 
after that, the, the beauty of the scripture is an understanding the context, understanding the circumstances around the text, what is happening in the new church, the personalities of the people involved. And when you do that, when you see James as a person who has no formal religious education, trying to pastor a a church, not in the sense of one building, but in the sense of a city filled with believers, and they're all more, not all of them, but many of them are much more familiar with uh, Torah than he is. They have this formal PhD status, and here he is, a carpenter, and then you read James through that perspective. It truly uh, it makes the book live. I want to. I want to get it right. I know you want to get it right. We want to be real. Uh, the real thing. Can I have a big amen? I, 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 I confess that it is something we should care about because the hardest thing we are challenged to do is navigate the fact that we are in this world but not of this world. This is very, very difficult, and it's one of the most. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the hardest continuing problems for a person who wants to live a spiritual kind of life. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. In other words, you are here to be light in this world, but you should live by the values of another world. So you're here, but you are dual, like a dual citizen. You are in this kingdom, but you're not living by the values of this kingdom. You are of another kingdom. And so whether it is in your faith life, that internal dialogue that you speak to yourself, whether it is your willingness to, to reach out to others, whether it is in your ability to claim the promises of God uh, and the manifestation of his dominion here on earth, whatever that is, it's directly proportional to your ability to be in in this kingdom, but living by the rules of another one. That is hard. Because if we're not careful, the, 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 the impression that weighs most heavily upon our mind will be the last experience we've had in this world. Not the call of the Spirit to live by the the values and the goals of another kingdom. And so every day, we are all of, it, all of us navigating this realm. We, we're, we're between two worlds. And we're over here, but we're living by the call of this kingdom. And so uh, James is giving us uh, a quick test for how to know that our religion uh, is something that has um, relevance. It's something that is a real. It is something that is not simply an outward form, but it is of the heart. And he gives us three things, three things. Um, and it's so interesting the way he starts about this in, ver in verse 26. If anybody thinks he is religious. Now, imagine him trying to talk to all of these people, and so many of them have more education. They know more about the law and the Torah. They can quote more passages. He had, he, while he was building houses, uh, they were memorizing Torah. And he is, he is talking to that crowd. And he says, all right, all you religious experts, you people that you've forgotten more Greek and Hebrew than I've ever had a chance to learn, all you big timers, no timers, do-gooders, big time, you think you're religious, but I am going to give you a standard that will cut through all your 
symbols of religion. Now, this is very helpful for us. Why? Because we want to be real. Can I have a big amen? Amen. We want to be real. We want to get this right. And the first thing that he does, that it almost sounds as though he is cutting through all the criticism of people who think they know more than him. They've got more background. They've got more Torah, et cetera, et cetera. He cuts all through it to three things that are individually testimonies of rightness, of getting it right. The first one is this. If you think you're religious, but you cannot control your tongue, then you have a useless religion and you deceive yourself. Uh, what is he talking about? Your tongue can, then your religion can fix on purpose. Mm, that's some fine preaching. Oh, brother, just break it down. Just So let me personalize this. My tongue, if I'm not careful, can do more damage on accident than my religion can fix on purpose. And so as a believer, you want some clear standards to know how 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 serious are you uh, walking this walk? How how serious are you, uh, shall we say, talking or not talking this talk? How how serious am I about being in this world, but living by the values and the goals of another world? Do you see we're we're being we're being like a slingshot between this world and that world and this world and that world and this world and that world? But we're in this world as evidence of what that world can do. We are his handiwork. We are in this world as his ambassadors of how that world is what we were created for and this world is what we fall into. We must live as ambassadors, as, as testimonies, as portals to another world. That's why you have to speak faith into your world. Because your job is to testify of another kingdom. Amen. Do you see? Why should you speak faith in your world? Because your job is to testify of another kingdom. And when I speak faith, I, I love to be, I, I love to speak faith to people. I am better, my wife will agree, will commit this uh, uh, in my stead. I am better at speaking faith for you than I am speaking faith for me. I am better at believing for miracles for you than I am for me. I, I love to speak faith because when I do that, I have the sense that I'm not speaking for me, but I'm speaking for God, for you. You see, my job, if I get it right, I am this ambassador between two worlds, between two kingdoms. And when I or you, when we come into a room, we don't offer more of this world. We offer some sunshine of that world. We offer some hope. Somebody say hope. Your mouth will reveal how much hope is in your life. We speak hope of that world. We are, as one gospel writer, or as one of the epistle writers said, we are administrators of grace. And you know what my job is when I come into a room full of this kingdom? I speak the grace of that kingdom. 
That's why I intentionally try to speak faith to people. I try to speak hope to people. I try to build you up. I try to make you feel better about yourself than you did when you got here. I try to lift you up. I'll compliment you. I'll speak positive things about you. Why? I need to be a window that when you open me, the light of another kingdom shines through. And even if what I say about you is not true by the standards of the cynic, it might could be true by the promises of your creator. So uh, if I have a mouth that destroys my witness, I will shut down the promises, the blessings, the kingdom of God that would come through me. And so I must guard my mouth. I'm not just talking about uh, cursing somebody when they cut you off in traffic. Uh, I'm not just talking about vulgarity or obscenities or indecent language. Um, that we, we do have to be careful of that. And at the same time, we don't need to be so prissy that normal people don't really, you know, want to be around us. What, what, what am I trying to say? I thought about this before I got into it. I didn't get into this by accident. Um, so I have a, a news flash to um, all of our lovely ladies, something you already knew, uh, but I'm going to tell you anyway because that's how I roll. Um, men's humor is very different from women's humor. She's like, my God, somebody finally preached it. Someone finally preached it. Okay, so, so men's humor is very different than women's humor, okay? Yes, it's a good bit more um, earthy. <laughs> um, it probably will refer to more embarrassing events. Um, that does not mean that they're being obscene because they have guy humor. However, it is possible for us guys to take it too far, and it's not just guy humor, but it's foul. And it destroys our witness of a world beyond this world. And so we want, we, want, we don't want to be so prissy that, you know, uh, people won't, uh, they don't want to be our friend. But at the same time, we don't want to just let the common language, the obscenity, the vulgarity, the indecency, even uh, if you, I, I worked in construction for years. I mean, the language is positively pornographic more often than not. Um, you don't want to in some way condone that, and you certainly don't want that to come through you. But I want you I want you all to see that I'm, I'm speaking more than just the vulgarity and the obscenity and the indecent. That's the easy things. That's obviously wrong. We have images in the scripture of that being wrong. We have, we have Peter identifying as an unbeliever by his swearing publicly. Uh, we have Paul saying those people who rail, rail, uh, they, they're not going to have a place in the kingdom of, of God. Rail, to be a railer is someone who speaks of others in a harsh uh, manner that is degrading and is indecent. It is to speak ugly of them. Uh, but yes, those are the easy things. If, you, if anybody here is having a problem with that, please stop it. You're destroying your testimony. You say, well, I've just been done it my whole life. All right, well, that, well, you still have some life left. So let's start changing now. 
Okay, let's start working on temperance. Somebody say temperance. If, if you don't think you can get as, as, as to where you wish you were, don't, don't try to jump up 97 levels. Just get started today on being somewhat more temperate today than you were yesterday. And you'll find that step by step, you are ushered toward godliness. Can I have a big amen? And so um, if, those are, if that's a problem, please, particularly if you're trying to be a witness, just, just stop with the obscenity, etc. But beyond that, we have a duty to speak. We have a duty to speak the values of that kingdom in this kingdom. We have a duty to speak the grace and promises of that kingdom in this kingdom. That's why when I talk to people, I speak grace to them. I speak love to them. And you do the same thing because our duty is to be the ambassador of God's values, God's kingdom, God's ways in this fallen, this fallen world. The tongue has in it the power of life and death. We all of us choose every day whether we will eat of the tree of life or we will eat of the tree of death. We choose and we choose by what we say. We choose by what we say because there's the power of life and the power of death that are in our, in our, uh, our tongue. The average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. Um, I think the way that works out is uh, men speak about 8,000 and we men, women speak about 24 and then they average it at 16. And that's funny. I'm moving along before I get anybody mad at me. Um, you speak about 18,000 words a day. Do you know that's the equivalent of a 64-page book? Every day, each of us speaks a 64-page book. In a, in a month, you'll speak a half a million words. That's about almost 2,000 pages. Uh, in a year, you'll speak a little under 6 million words. That's four volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And over your lifetime, you will speak uh, over 400 million words. And that's roughly equal to speaking the whole 44 volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica and, uh, uh, set of of encyclopedias. So uh, what kind of books are we writing? <laughs> what kind of books are, are we writing? Uh, I also want to point this out that we should not just have right speech uh, face-to-face, but we should have right speech um, on the things that we post on social media. Whoop. <clears throat> Moving along. You should, you should speak carefully because you are, you have a higher goal than your uh, political. Everybody has their own politics. You should vote your politics, vote your conscience. But you have a higher goal. You are not of this world. You see what I'm saying? You are not of this world. Your goal is to speak of another world, another way of being. And uh, so we have to be careful that when we speak, we don't just speak God's law. We also speak God's grace. Because if law was the answer, we'd all still be in the Old Testament. But thank God we have a better way. So the second thing, pure and undefiled. So the first thing is, is how we talk. Uh, if you want to be the real thing, you want to get it right, 
James says, oh, I don't care how much Mosaic law you know. <laughs> you know, it, it seems as though he is, he's, he's, he's drawing a, a dividing line right through all the religiosity. You, you want to talk about pure? Let's talk about pure. Number one, if you're not controlling your tongue, you're, you're missing something fundamental. Number two, your compassion will speak to the value of your religion. You see, true religion moves us to action. That is why I believe we should pray that we have a mission individually and we live missional lives. The opposite of that is to live a version of selfish Christianity where you're primarily focused on your needs. You see... uh, Churches can be hospitals or churches can be health clubs. A hospital has a mandate, a a right of existence to serve others, to serve sick people. The mandate of the hospital is to serve sick people. The mandate of the health club is to serve its members. And when we don't live missional lives, we don't have, we, we accept that we're just going to follow the rules and show up for church and that'll be enough. If we don't have a mission in our life, then we have a health club religion. And we like the service if the preacher did a good job. You guys have heard all this stuff. Um, I won't spend any time, much time here. Just enough to scratch my back and then move along. Um, <laughs> you know that one itch you get and you never can quite reach it? That's, that's what this is for me. <laughs> that we, 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 I pray, Lord, let me live with a mission, a goal, a purpose. Um, but if, we're just, if we have a health club style church, we spend our time perfecting ourselves. There's not many mirrors in a hospital. And there's nobody posing. But in a health club, it's all about the mirrors. And everyone's flexing. (laughs) You see the hospital. Um, uh, 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 you see the, not the hospital, but you see the difference in the hospital and the health club mentality. So if, we, if a church is a hospital, um, uh, we, we have to be comfortable with sick people. And I want to say this. Sometimes it's the doctor who gets sick. Um, sometimes it's the nursing with people who once maybe we're doing better than they do right now. I, I've seen people uh, go into trials because uh, someone they admired in the church w- went into a great struggle and either lost their faith or almost lost their faith or had this tremendous change of lifestyle or different direction of ministry. And they, it, it threw them into a trial because they, they thought, you know, that person's, uh, they're part of the, of the care team. They don't get to get sick. I'm so glad, to, to, I'm so glad that uh, the church uh, is not just for, um, you know, the outsider, but insiders get sick too. And how we treat insiders is just as defining to the kind of church we ultimately become is how we treat outsiders. And so if you know somebody 
at one time they, they maybe were a person of high commitment and today it seems like they're barely making it or worse, you know of things they're doing and you don't approve. I promise you, we accept, for, we accept doctors who get sick in this hospital. Yeah. <clears throat> we do. And so um, if it was your children, you would want us to accept them. So let us accept other people's children, too, when they get sick. So, all right, moving along. Um, Compassion, uh, pure and undefiled religion before our our God and Father is this, to look after uh, orphans and widows in their distress. Now, when he says orphan and widows, he's actually referring, obviously, we know what an orphan and widow is. And you can take it just as a basic kind of stance of how we should care for people who are in less fortunate circumstances than ourselves. We should care. We should help. We should protect. Yes, yes, yes. But in Jewish law, <clears throat> the, this mention of the orphan and the widow has special significance because we have Exodus 22, do not take advantage of the widow or the father, fatherless. That's Exodus 22, verse 22. Also, Isaiah 1 and 17, defend the cause of the orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Zechariah 7 and 10, do not oppress the widow and the orphan. These are the weakest People in the society, under the law of the time, widows had essentially no legal protection. Uh, That's why Jesus was so harsh on the religious leaders of the day who said they had these long public prayers and they made this show of public piety. Read the story in Mark 12 if you want to. They had this grand show of religiosity, but in the meantime, they were devouring the most helpless people in their society, the widows and the orphans. And this made Jesus furious, and he spoke publicly, publicly against them. So let's put this in context. Who are the weakest among us, and can we care for them? That really needs to bother us, and we need to be concerned with it, because that is one of the tests of whether or not we have real religion or we have a form of religion. Uh, there was, a, there was a, um, uh, a poet who wrote a, a short a short. Um, poem entitled listen christian um i want to read it to you it's it's very humbling and it's 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 in its own way it makes us wonder whether how good of a job we've done but uh i'm going to read it anyway even though you'll be mad at me when i get done (laughs) so i was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger thank you i was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar and prayed for my release I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very, very hungry. Um. We have to have the element of care and concern for people that is one of the greatest testimonies of our desire to bring the values of that world into this world. Can I have a big amen? And so uh, that is the second one. I'm going to try to finish up pretty quickly here. 
The religion that God approves of cares for the people who cannot care for themselves. Uh, It is natural for churches to primarily focus upon uh, the soul. And the reason why that is, is because churches usually have somewhat limited resources. And uh, we we don't have the the money-raising abilities of some of the nonprofits that that raise millions of dollars and they're focused on the feeding and the clothing and the like and so the church comes along and says we're going to primarily focus on the spiritual and look I'm not unsympathetic to that I, I get that but I think along with our desire to see everyone brought into spiritual peace and reconciliation with God forgiven of their sins washed in the blood filled with the spirit along with that we need to have a heart to protect and a heart to embrace can I have a big first church amen <laughs> Lastly, musicians come. Um, The third thing that he talks about is very much the most, um, in many ways, challenging because it's directly an issue of the heart. Uh, It's it's directly the issue of, of the heart. To keep oneself unstained by the world is how one translation one translation reads it we read it new king james version and to keep oneself unspotted from the world um, this is so much an issue of the heart remember james is is teaching people leading people pastoring people who think they know how to be holy because they have the torah and the torah gives them a formula of eat this, don't eat that. Do this, don't do that. This person's clean, this person's unclean. The Torah gives them a clear formula on this is what it means to be holy. And here comes James telling them, you've got to fight for your heart. James isn't telling them to keep, you know, Torah and do Torah. He's telling them to keep yourself unspotted from the world. And they are having to relearn this concept that they have through all the Old Testament thought of as as holiness. What does that mean to be holy? That means I do Torah. And now all of these New Testament writers, including James, are saying, look, this is a this is, this is a, a, a circumstance of your heart. It does not matter if you don't commit adultery. You have to do what Jesus said and worry about your heart. You see, it's much more of the heart. It's much higher. It's much more difficult. You can't simply keep the commandments. And the commandments are meant to be kept. They are meant to be kept. And we strive to keep them. But the standard Jesus gives us is much higher than just a formula of rules. It is a condition of the heart. Can you, keep, can you live by the system and the values of a kingdom that is not of this world? Can you administrate a grace that is not discovered anywhere in the realm of humanity, can only be discovered through the presence and the promise of God? Can you turn yourself away from the values of a society that is continually pummeling you with its values, its wants, its lusts? Can you protect your heart from that? Boy, that's a high standard right there. That is as high as it can get. So if you want a short Cliff Notes version of what it means to be real in the house of God, number one, 
how are you minding your mouth? If you're not minding your mouth, you're a big faker. Number two, do you have compassion and a desire to protect the weakest among us? Or do you pile on once someone starts getting criticized? I'm telling you, you guys don't know what some people have come through. I, I, sometimes I get to know, sometimes I don't know, but sometimes I get to know what they've come through. But I'm telling you, some of you guys would be a lot more patient. I mean, I, I don't want to act like we have a big problem with this. Our church really doesn't have a big problem with this. But occasionally we're, you know, we, we pile on. You'll, you, you, all you'll see is someone's actions. You don't know what they've come through. You don't know what they're trying to recover from. Sometimes I do, but it's inappropriate for me to share. And I want you to see, if you would know some of the roads people has walked, you would would defend the helpless. You wouldn't let anyone talk bad about them when you were there. You'd defend them. You'd say, I don't know what they're going through, but you know what? They're not here, so let's defend them. Do you defend the person who cannot defend themselves? Do you care for the person who is unable to care for themselves? If you don't have that compassion in your religion, it's pretty useless, James says. And number three, if you are not fighting, I mean absolutely committed, I mean line drawn in the sand, to keep your heart. It's hard work to keep your heart. It's fun to try to keep other people's hearts. But it's hard work to keep your own heart. If you are not fighting all of you guys, your every day you work in a carnal environment, you need to take a, in your mind, you need to take a spiritual shower every day and wash all that junk off of you and say, I am yours and you are mine. If you spend all your time listening to political talk radio, something, you need to wash all that stuff off of you and say, I want the strongest emotion in my life to be my identity and commitment to God, not what's happening in the political environment. If you love, if you love uh, certain types of things in the society, whether it's sports or entertainments or celebrities or whatever it is, you need to remind yourself that that, that all has to be kept as a lesser feeling while you save the mountaintops of your emotion for your time in the presence of God. Are is anybody hearing me today? God forbid you jump higher when your team wins than you do when someone preaches Calvary. You better keep your heart. I said you better keep your heart. I don't let myself care as much about that as I care about the fact that I am not of this world. I am of another world. Let's all stand together. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Lord, I pray for these lovely people. I pray, I pray that all of us would find a, a, a place of true spiritual um, uh, rightness. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. 
Come worship with us. 